Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the FBR cast, our first interview cast, and this week I'm joined by Stacy Turner. Sunlight will betray you, but I move from shade to shade. Stay low, keep your head down. Hi Stacey and welcome to Fantasy Book Review. We're here today to talk about Fading Light, the anthology of The Monstrous, which Angelic Night Press has published on the 1st of September. And um, I just wanted to ask you a few questions about your story in the anthology and your role as an editor within the publishing company that published Fading Light. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Well, I'm actually the owner of Angelic Night Press. Blaze McRobb and Quinn Cullen started Angelic Night Press and then different things went around. I ended up being a part owner. Quinn had to pull out pull back a little bit with her personal life. Um, Blaze has had some health issues, so I'm pretty much at the helm. Blaze still backs me up when he can, but I pretty much run the company. I'm the managing editor. I do have an acquisitions editor who reads all of my incoming submissions and helps decide what we're going to take there. And then we have our incredible art director, Rebecca Treadway, who does all of our artwork and also does our formatting and helps back me up with, you know, 50 million other things. Well, that that sounds like it was a little bit unexpected. It uh, was. I, I, I imagine with... <laughs> Honestly, uh, I grew up wanting to be an author. Never really thought about editing until a couple of years ago. You know, I had the uh, the training for it, found that I had a knack for it, and started doing freelance editing. And then I met Blaze and Quinn and got hired on it, Angelic Knight. And then... Uh, I just I was so interested in all of the aspects of the publishing business that I started getting into more and more of it, and then it got turned over. And I love it. It's crazy busy trying to do everything, but um, it's a lot of fun too. Wow! So I imagine it's hard now that you're involved with all of the administration side to actually do the author side and be involved in that sort of area that you originally wanted to be involved with is do you find it hard to find the time to write stories even short stories i do (laughs) incredibly hard i also have a family so um and they don't really care you know that mom's running a business when it's time for dinner Uh, (laughs) so it, it is really hard and definitely i would say the author side has suffered the most um uh, you know, there are things I could give up for that, though. I, I, you know, I could spend less time with my family, I guess, or sleep less um, or not at all. But, uh, um, I, you know, when there's a project that really interests me, I find that I make the time. So Fading Light, I definitely carved out the time to write my story. And I, I also work a full-time job, and I found it very hard to try and do some writing when you get home from work and all you want to do is 
just relax and spend time with your family and and then before you know it it's 9 10 11 o'clock at night and you want to get some rest in before you get ready for the next day <laughs> yes Exactly. And the the publishing business, I mean, it's not like it's a Monday through Friday thing. I work Saturdays and Sundays and on vacation and <laughs> pretty much everywhere. So so moving on to your writing, um, is there any particular style of writing that you prefer? Yeah. I and mean, I've seen that you've written a lot of dark fiction and you've been involved with Angelic Night Press who have a reputation for publishing some very dark fiction is is that what you're interested in or yes and and uh, do you find that easy to write i do yeah I, i've always been a huge fan of the horror industry you know whether literature or movies or what have you my parents were huge stephen king fans growing up so his books were very prevalent in our home and my mom loved scary movies and tv shows like twilight zone and nightmare gallery in fact they let me watch the birds when i was four which has engendered a lifelong terror of flying <laughs> things <laughs> but uh so that yeah that was definitely a big part of growing up um and i gravitated to it as well so definitely when I think of a story, it generally has some kind of horror element to it. It's very different to my sort of upbringing. I, do you find it hard to come up with any ideas in, in this sort of very dark fiction genre? No. <laughs> Not really, you know, even sometimes we'll be watching a, a romantic comedy or something with my daughter and I'll be like, and now the werewolf comes out, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it's just something that, uh, that I guess I've always enjoyed. So now I'm always looking at something and going, but what if, um, my youngest son is 19 and he is my fantastic what if player who helps me, uh, if I have a plot problem, work out that plot. Um, my husband, not so much, not into <laughs> horror movies. He goes with me, but, you know, it wouldn't be his first choice. Um, not a big reader, horror, any kind, really. So, you know, sometimes I'll try and run stray ideas by him, and he just looks at me <laughs> like I've lost it. So, so that's how they pop into my head. I mean, sometimes I'm really impressed with other people's ideas. I know when I saw the first trailer for 30 Days of Night, I was like, oh, my God, Alaska, 30 days, it's dark, vampires. Why didn't I think of this? <laughs> I wonder if Stephen King thinks that way, too. God, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> so so does it surprise you at all when the ideas come? Like, I, I remember when the idea for Lightsabers came to me, I remember writing it and finishing it and being completely creeped out by what I'd just written. Do you do you feel that way sometimes with your ideas? Do you do you wonder, you know, where did these ideas come from and what sort of person does that kind of make me? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I went to World Horror this year and I've met a lot of horror writers and horror authors in person and those are some of the nicest folks you'll ever meet and i really think it's because we get all that dark and nasty out on the page instead of holding it within us 
and I think that you exercise a lot of those because no, those folks are really, you know, nice to talk to, um, genuinely interested in helping other folks. I mean, there's the Whore for Good anthology. There's, you know, Toys for Tots that's done by the horror community. There's just all kinds of charitable things that people who write horror do. And I think that's probably odd for, you know, for the general public to find out because you wouldn't, I guess you picture a horror writer sitting in their little cave with skulls all around them and, you know, not being a very nice person. And I really find it's just the opposite. Um, I do scare myself occasionally. I was working on a, a novel and had written a, a scary scene and realized that it had gotten dark while I wrote that and no one else was at home and um, walked into the hallway with some trepidation. I'm not going to lie. I remember the finish. I'd outlined it and I'd written an initial draft, but when I went through and finished off the final scene, um, I, you, you would have read uh, Lightsavers, where you, the final scene has some pretty confronting moments. I typed the last words, and I sat up, and it was it was dark around me. I had the lights were all off. It was about one o'clock in the morning, and I was sort of thinking, wow, I I started off wanting to write some really positive fantasy novels and I've found myself being drawn into this horror world do you you find that the stories you write really affect you do they change you do they make you a different person from the time you started through to the time you finished I don't think so no um, I don't plot an outline like that a lot sometimes I'll have a general direction where the story is going in my head but it's more of a, it just kind of goes as it goes while I'm writing. Um, I wouldn't say it changes me. Maybe it's the difference in background, you know, growing up with a steady diet of horror. Um, it could be life experiences too. You know, I think real life can be horrific enough. Um, no, I wouldn't say they change me. I have enjoyed each and every story. The one for Fading Light was very different from anything that I'd written. I'm not an overly religious person. I don't go to church every Sunday, and my character, Jeb, is obviously deeply rooted in his faith. Um, So that was a big surprise. Yeah, so uh, looking looking at your uh, Fading Light story, uh, Born, Born of Darkness... Yeah, when, when when Tim sent out the original story prompt about the the sun having disappeared and the monsters coming out, was was it really hard for you, given the story prompt, to come up with such a positive ending, or was it just natural? Gosh, I wish I could explain the process, <laughs> um, but to be honest, I had the character of Ariel. In my head first, um, you know, I got to thinking about it and I thought, you know, what if it was dark? What would keep people going? You know, what would make you want to survive that instead of just giving up? And I thought, well, it would have to be someone with a really strong faith and a belief that, you know, things were going to get better. That's where Jeb came in. And then I just got to thinking about demons and the darkness and the battle between the light and the dark, so to speak. 
um, and came up with the idea of a six-year-old demon hunter. And I, you know, I went to my son and I was like, hey, I got this idea. And he's like, that's the stupidest idea you've ever had, mom. What, what is a six-year-old going to do, <laughs> really? And I was like, I don't know, but I like the idea. I'm going to go with it. So, you know, I got to thinking about she'd have to have, you know, some kind of superhuman strength, obviously, to be a six-year-old demon hunter and how these children would have been raised to do that. And the, the prophecy kind of came through that and then the rest of the story. And then I met Tim at World Horror and I'd already been thinking of the story and we talked some more about it. Um, we talked about my plot line. He showed me the cover art, which was really clinched the deal for me. That was some supreme cover art. And I, he said, you know, go home, finish your story, send it to me. I really finished the plot in my head um, on the drive from Ohio, where I'd flown to after World Horror home, which is about a, an eight-hour drive. And really, the story kind of came together in my head, and I came home and took several days to write it. But I can't tell you where you know, where everybody came from. I knew that it was going to have a positive ending, that Ariel was going to conquer anything that was set in her path. Um, But honestly, I didn't even think about extending it, about writing about those characters or that world anymore. But I've had several people ask for more of the story, so I have to see if that's in there somewhere. (laughs) Do you see yourself returning with Ariel as a main character? You know, after I wrote the story, I was done with it. Um, That's how it is with most of the stories. You know, you've spent so much time with them that you're kind of just over the the characters and the story. And I really felt like that. And then I, you know, my editor that I worked on the story with before I sent it to Tim, he said, you know, I can really see this as a series of stories or even a novel somewhere down the road. And then a couple of other people said it. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't know if I want to revisit them. I don't know if I've got that in me. And then I had to drive yesterday and driving is really where I do my best thinking. And I kind of started to think about not just Ariel um, and Jeb and Cassie and Uriah, but the other babies that were part of the prophecy and the other demon hunters that were part of the prophecy. And I thought, you know, I really could go further with this. So it's a huge possibility. Do you find there's a lot of pressure to write more and more stories about familiar characters, about characters that you like, um, that it becomes harder to write a standalone book? I think that really differs author to author. Um, Personally, as a publisher, I like series because people will read one and then they'll want to read the others or they'll read the middle book and want to go back and buy the first. So series definitely work from a sales standpoint. Um, From an author standpoint, I think that that's definitely up to the author. I mean, you either have more of the story or you don't. And if you don't, I don't think you should try and drag it out of yourself. I mean, I would never say I'm going to write a book based on this story if I just had no idea where that was going to go. You know, um, driving yesterday, I kind of got an idea and I was like, "Mm, I could go with this. Still working it over. I mean, I'd have to get a pretty solid scene in my head to convince me to do it because, you know, committing to a novel with characters that you've already written about I think would be harder and there's so many new ideas that it's you're always so torn which idea to write first i know sometimes i'll get halfway through a story 
And I don't write a story all in one setting. I take several days to write it. Um, I'll get halfway through a story and see a prompt for another anthology and get an idea and be like, oh, I want to write this one. And, you know, it's really hard to make yourself go back and, and finish the one story, especially if you've already know, if you already have an inkling of the ending, you know, it's almost like you've already read that book and you're ready for a new one. <laughs> so sometimes um, that's really hard. So I think that for me personally, I would have to be really invested in those characters and I think it's something you should decide ahead of time. I don't think that, you know, you should write a book and then have people say, well, you should write another book. I think a story is different because there's so many places you can go from a story. You know, I guess that I didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional that the last line, you know, would kind of say, oh, there's more to the story. But looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, I, I guess it does kind of imply there might be more. So... I don't know. That, that's a really hard decision. Um, I would never do it just to capitalize on the sales. And I do think that it does happen that way sometimes, you know, that people read a book and say, oh, I'd like to hear more. And the author goes, oh, cha-ching. You know, I, I would rather with the authors that come to us and several of them are doing series, but they had the idea for the series in the beginning. I mean, everything was plotted out as a series. I wouldn't want to do a book with a an author and then have them come to me three months later and say, oh, I'm going to do a sequel. You know, I, I'd much rather that that had been something they were thinking ahead of time. Do you feel that a lot of your, a lot of your authors from Angelic Night Press are pressured to write in a series because people read the first book in the series and become familiar and like to read more about those characters? I don't think that they're encouraged to write a series unless that was the idea. Yeah. You know, we have um, Cindy Keenwriter's book, Seven Year Witch, which is a paranormal romance. Uh, and it's the first in the Wisteria Hedgehaven clan series. But Cindy came to us with the idea for the series that she would follow the sisters of the original uh, main character of the first book. And then Brian Hall, when he started the Southern Haunting Saga, that was uh, the whole time intended to be a series revealing more and more about Crate Northgate's character and his original starting as he went through the different cases. The other authors with novels, no matter how well they were received, if they had been intended as a standalone novel, I would not encourage the writer to do a series and if he came to me with the idea it would have to be really really good and tie in really well with the original novel if they had written it as a standalone i you don't want to get people hooked on a character and then just have them buy the next book because of that character and then disappoint them um, that's a big thing for me you set a bar with a book or a story for the reader and you don't want to just phone in the next book you know, and you can tell when you're just just phoning it in, not doing your best work. If your whole heart is not in what you're writing, readers are going to know. And, and then they're going to stop buying the book. Uh, there's a, a mainstream, traditionally published author series that I read. And it's gotten to the point where I know who did it before I'm halfway through the book. And, you know, as a reader, that's really disappointing. You think, boy, you did not put any effort into this at all. You've just got a formula now and you're plugging in the characters. And, you know, so I gave up and stopped reading the series. 
And I, I just think that as a writer, you have to be true to yourself, but you always have to be true to your readers too, because those are the people who are, um, you know, buying your books and buying your food basically because they're buying your books. So I, I would prefer that my authors are true to their readers and deliver a really good book regardless of trilogy or series or standalone. Yeah, that that definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so, so moving on, uh, Fading Light, the anthology that was published by Angelic Night Press, you're, you're the owner of and you're, you're an editor within uh, Angelic Night Press. You're, you're also an author for Fading Light. How did you manage the conflict of interest there? I'm really glad you asked that, actually. Um, it, it was it was a huge debate on whether I was going to submit my story or not. Um, I saw the prompt for the anthology you know, when it first came out and started working on a story idea. And then I ran into Tim, the editor at World Horror Conference. And first, I had nothing to do with the editing of Fading Light. That was all Tim. Tim put the entire book together, had all the stories ready, you know, when he came to us with it. So I didn't do any of the editing. I didn't even do the proofreading. That was done by other people. Um, I, I believe it's too hard to ha edit your own work when I have anything in a book that we do or, you know, later when I come out with my collection, it will be edited by someone outside the press. That way, you know, I have an opinion that's not from someone who works with me or, you know, would worry about offending me. Not that my employees do. They're, you know, they're all about offending me. So uh, we're all very honest. I don't believe that any writer gets better um, without honest people who say, you know, this part just doesn't work or this story, I feel like you isn't one of your strongest. Maybe you want to work on it. Um, so him and I talked at, at World Horror. He liked the story idea. He said, definitely send this to me. It was I'd been back probably a week from the World Horror Conference when Blaze sent me an email saying that the original publisher Tim was going to go with, um, they had decided to part company and that Tim was offering us Fading Light to publish, um, I jumped on the chance because I believed in Tim and I believed in his project and that cover art was good. Um, I knew the names that he had attached to the project already. So we were more than happy to take the book on. Um, I did talk to Tim and I said, you know, I've got that story that I'm working on. You know, I feel like I shouldn't submit now that we're going to be the publisher. People are going to say, oh, she only got in because she's the publisher. And Tim said, you know, not to worry about it. He said that he respected me too much to look on my story favorably if it wasn't. And I told him, I said, you know, if I send it and you think it's crap, please, you know, reject it. Tell me it's crap if you want to. Um, it wouldn't be the first rejection I've gotten. I don't want to feel like I got in because of who I was. I want to feel like I got in because my story was good. So I finished my story. Um, I sent it to my beta reader. I worked on it some more. I sent it to a friend who's an editor. I worked on it some more. And then I sent it to Tim and he accepted it. And, you know, in the email, he said, this is not because of who you are. I really like the story. Um, so we'll just deal with that, you know, when the time comes, if people ask. 
so it was a it was a big internal conflict whether to submit or not but i had already you know kind of committed to the project so and, and i respected tim enough to know that he wasn't the type of editor who was gonna just be swayed by that that he was going to let me know if my story didn't work or didn't fit the anthology so we went with it and and there may be some flack there may be people who say you know that's why but um i don't think it was now that the story's out there and it's been so warmly received it it must be satisfying your story is talked about as one of the best in the anthology uh it's very validating. It does make me feel like people aren't going to think I just got in because I was the publisher. Um, it's also made me feel a bit like Alice down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I was so excited just to be involved with this project with the names that were attached and everything to have my story singled out is kind of surreal. Yeah. Um, it makes me smile. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, luckily, my family, you know, keeps me from getting a big head. Yeah, great review, Mom. What's for dinner? You know? <laughs> so, but yes, it does make me feel, um, it does validate sending in the story and that, you know, Tim chose it not because of who I was, but because of the writing. So, yeah, that's been awesome. I suppose as a small publisher, is is the future daunting? Or do you see it as an opportunity to um, really push a whole lot of new authors that people should be reading? I definitely see it as an opportunity. I think the future of publishing is wide open at this point with the advent of ebooks and Amazon making it easy for people to self publish or for small presses to publish. Um, I, I do see, I don't see traditional publishers ever completely dying out. I think that there will still be people who hold out for, um, you know, books that are traditionally published, books they think they should be reading. I have yet to see um, somebody as popular as Oprah push forward an indie book or a small press book as part of her book club. Um, and, and a lot of people go by, you know, what they're told they should be reading. But for those who don't, I think uh, there's just been an explosion with the eBooks. And I think that that's a great model for small presses and a great avenue. I think that they will become more and more popular um, and have more sales as we go on, as people begin to see that, you know, we're putting out quality books for a much better price than the traditionally published books. And it's better for, you know, it's better for the readers to have the the lower price. It's better for the authors to go with a smaller press or to self-publish. They're getting to keep more of their royalties. Um, the books are more immediate. I mean, you know, most of the time when we accept a book, it's out within six months. It's not, you know, two years from now. Yeah. Um, so I think that it, it's really a good time for everyone. I think that a lot of the problems in the community, the indie community and the small press community right now are that people are in a big hurry. Um, I would rather we take the time to get the cover art right, to do intensive editing and get everything formatted correctly and put out a quality product than to rush to put out, you know, four or five books a month um, and have them be of lesser quality. So I think right now there are a lot of books coming out 
that aren't the best quality and that's turning some readers off. But I think as we go, the quality ones are going to win out and readers are going to come back and say, okay, I know from this press or from this person, I get, you know, great books that are, are the best quality, you know, the quality that I can see from a traditional publisher at a better price. So no, I think it's a really exciting time right now in publishing and in writing um, that, you know, everyone has a chance. It's not just people who've already gotten a big name or are only writing traditional literature books or mainstream. I think that it's an exciting time for anyone who's writing genre fiction or, um, you know, whatever they're writing. It's just a big opportunity to get that in, in front of readers, which is where it needs to be. It, it definitely seems like uh, social media, uh, your Facebook, your Twitter, your blogs, um, all of these different uh, avenues of promoting your book, a lot of readers expect authors to be very active on these sorts of social media avenues. Um, do you find being in a small press that the same pressures apply to yourself? No, I think social media and marketing is extremely important, especially for self-published authors or small presses, but it's even, you know, trickled up to traditional publishing. People do expect their, their authors to be more accessible these days. And I think that that's good and bad. Um, you know, part of reading a really great book and being wowed by it is the mystery of the author. I mean, you know, there are books published about, say, Stephen King's life, but still, you know, it's not like you can see him on Facebook every day and email him a question about something. Um, and whether that's good or bad, I mean, I love the fact that, you know, I can talk to some of my favorite authors, you know, if I have a question, um, Generally, it's not where do you get your ideas because I know how much they hate that. I, I personally don't mind that question. I like to uh, explain how the strange railroad track in my mind jumps constantly. But I think that social media marketing is very important. Um, you know, as the publisher, I spend a lot of time on Facebook and Twitter um, getting, you know, posting up that we got a review or know letting people know what we have coming out posting teasers from the different stories um connecting with readers and reviewers and finding finding people but i also think it's really important not to push just to push your books um i would say the authors that i look for their books you know that i've liked a book are are not the ones who every tweet is buy my book buy my book, buy my book, you know, um, my, my book is for sale here. Um, the ones that I look for and that I think readers really gravitate to are the ones who are on Facebook and Twitter and may say once a day, I got this great review, or here's where my book's available, or I have this one coming up. But also that, you know, people get to engage in their lives. They get to see a little bit of how that author lives and, you know, what's important to them. And it seems that it has come down, as you said, a lot more to authors that you kind of you begin to like as a person, 
you're much more willing to look up their books and buy their books. And you're, I think that the readers are also a little more forgiving if the book isn't up to their expectations, you know, that I think that they have a tendency to look back and say, oh, well, this was going on for them at that time, you know, um, they'll get, they'll do better with the next book. And I think that author accessibility and likability plays a huge role in sales. I really do. And that's definitely new. So moving away from Stacy, the business person, what sort of books do you like to read? Are you finding yourself reading the same sort of books that you like to publish or do you like to read outside of the genre? I am a really eclectic reader. Um, there's not much I don't like to read. I'm not a big spy novel, thriller, police procedural kind of reader, although I was sent one for a review, um, a spy novel and read it and was pleasantly surprised by how interesting it was. Um, I do like to read a lot of horror. Every so often, I will throw in a, a mainstream mystery or romantic suspense um, just for fluff, you know, to kind of clear my brain. Um, but definitely, I gravitate towards horror still. Uh, sci-fi with a strong horror element. I'm not a big just sci-fi, sci-fi fan. Um and fantasy, I don't really read a lot of fantasy unless it's a submission. We uh, we are a multi-genre publisher. We have gotten mostly horror, and I think that a lot of that is because those are the people that we've met the most. You know, I've been to the World Horror Convention, getting ready to go to KillerCon, and my husband was saying the other day, he goes, well, if you're going to publish the other genres, shouldn't you attend some of their conferences? And um so I'm looking into that as well. We do have the one paranormal romance, which was a lot of fun to work on. It is doing well. Um, and I enjoyed working on it. I read a lot of submissions. Um, and then I read books that people have asked me to review. So I do try and take the last two hours of every night before I go to sleep and read something that I'm not required to read. You know, it, it might be a book for review, but it's something that I would have picked up anyway. Um, but I try not to read submissions or anything like that and just, you know, read a book that I would like to read on my own because it would get old if all I ever read was submissions. Um, but I'll read just about any genre. Um, I Historical fiction, I like that as well. And occasionally I'll throw a nonfiction book in there just for, you know, research purposes or well, I, I guess I wouldn't call nonfiction books a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, just to learn something. Do you have any novels in particular that are your favorites? Any novels that have influenced you? Um, are there three fantasy novels that have influenced your writing? Honestly, I don't read a lot of fantasy. Um, I, I think I did as an adolescent. I can remember several novels. Um, and I guess that that is how you would classify books like A Wrinkle in Time, which was one of my all-time favorite yeah. series. Not just the book, but the series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, C.S. Lewis and The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I was a huge fan of those, read the entire series as well. I would really like to read George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones series when I can find the time. I'm thinking at two hours a night, that's probably going to take me a year 
um, yeah. as thick as those books are. Yeah. But fantasy wise, those would definitely be, uh, you know, books that I really, really liked. Uh, you know, now with horror, I would say definitely what you would consider the horror classics, um, the legend of hell house and the haunting of hill house. Um, Shirley Jackson and, and Richard Matheson, uh, definitely the leaders in, in the genre. I think I've read every Stephen King ever written and several Dean Koontz, uh, Peter Straub, yeah. um, and John Saul. Definitely uh, were steady diets for me. I- I'll have to delve some more into fantasy. Um, I-, I did have an author propose a fantasy trilogy to me that we're looking into and um it it sounded really really good and of course anything that goes through us i'm gonna read so it's definitely a a genre that i would be um open to reading more of um and i really liked the mix in fading light with the dark fantasy and the the dark fiction and the horror genre um i think that those crossovers in genres are really well received if, if they're done correctly by fans of both genres. And, you know, it opens up a whole new reading experience for people who only read one genre or the other. And thanks to Stacy for that insightful look at the business of managing a small press. If you have any questions for Stacy, you can comment on the blog post at fbrblog.com or send an email to blog at fantasybookreview.co.uk. The song you have been hearing in this podcast is Stealing Horses by Carl Burr, and we'll provide a link to his YouTube channel in the show notes. Next episode, we'll have an interview with Australian author Will Elliott. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make it out alive